G'day, I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me on Conversations on Western Tourist Radio. Western Tourist Radio is a member of the Bunbury Geograph Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and I'm talking to the President of the Chamber, Rob Skipsey. G'day, Rob. G'day, Barry. Great to talk to you. Well, thanks for giving us the time. And uh, tell us a bit about your background, what uh, experiences uh, bring you to this position. Barry, I've been lucky enough to follow my heart and some really good opportunities for a number of years. I started as a young engineer in Africa and really had opportunities to work in developing countries and developing industry sectors and have had a chance to work and live in six different countries and each one of them had a different diversity and a a different strength and a different focus and part of that ability was to actually make a difference wherever we've been so been been in 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 developing regions and creating industries which were either in a staple foods or in a sustainability um, way has helped me to uh, build a, a large a large part of my career and background and develop my business acumen um, and part of that was also we've been actively involved in other chambers or business federations in all the countries that I've worked in. So coming into Bunbury, it was an easier transition in, in 2014 to move directly into the chamber and participate actively when I was part of the timber precinct in Dartnup. And uh, forestry and timber is obviously close to my heart. And, you know, it was an, an opportunity to put a voice and, and a bit of passion into, into our region in Dartnup. Well, passion's always important, important, Rob. And um, the fact that you're an engineer, I think you know, the problems of the world are going to be solved uh, by scientists and engineers. Sometimes I think we've relied too much on marketers who deal in perceptions, not facts. But at the end of the day, facts bloody well matter. Absolutely. And, you know, I think data, we, we, we're finding out more and more that that's the key to the future is, is accurate data. So the ability to, to react and work on, on accurate data and data that will give you trends and, and making decisions based on, on good, solid data is absolutely key. And I, I think that's where my logic of my engineering brain kicks in. And I think, you know, we, we've made some unfortunate decisions in the past and we don't always learn from some of the mistakes we've made. So I think, you know, particularly looking at the regions going forward, um, there's tremendous opportunity now in a post-COVID environment to re- reconfigure what the future of the regions might look like. And part of that is, is, is bringing the technology to play in the regions and making the regions or giving the regions rather an opportunity to have an equal playing field with some of the metrocentric businesses. And I think the regions have a lot to offer if we, if we have that technology base that we can use within our regions. That's great. And uh, you talk about technology. My background's I've been in radio and electronics. So, you know, I've been part of technology, but my, the other part of my life in organic or regenerative agriculture, there's a realisation there that uh, the future of uh, the future of our civilization depends on how we look after the biology in the top four or six inches of this planet. So while there is a, absolutely a place for technology, we've also got to work with, with Mother Nature and try and, I guess, develop more uh, economic systems maybe that mimic natural ecosystems. Well, absolutely, and I think, you know, I'm a great believer that that the environment is a great leveller, and you see with some of the impacts across the world where we're out of balance, how nature actually fights back, and you look at what's happening in Canada and other areas of the world now where we're having extremes of of climate, and so, you know, this this is an opportunity to actually learn from nature, and if you look at how across millennia how nature has balanced itself, you know, the the science is there for us to learn from, and we don't actually really take those opportunities to 
learn. But, you know, regenerative agriculture is only one aspect of it because it's teaching us ways of actually learning from the basics. And I think part of that regenerative culture can be applied to so many different industries because if you look at the post-COVID environment, we are having to adapt and do things very differently to what we did before. And, you know, I, I think agriculture is is a great opportunity for us to learn because we have to live in better harmony with with mother nature than what we're currently living because we're destroying our our planet and if you look at it particularly in terms of where for us in 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 our regions here water security and the scarcity of water going forward is 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 a key factor we also look at you know where our where our future power generations come is going to come from we are huge consumers of power so we have to act actively look at what our future needs are going to be in water water for life number one water for industry and and power to sustain that industrial development are two of the key things that that you know we need as a base before we even start building infrastructure it's really interesting I, i perceive there's sort of two competing ideologies between economies of scale and stability through diversity and having grown up in donnybrook and seen a lot of small orchards go by the board uh, I think the time of small farms is coming back and it's not going to be by growing bigger and bigger quantities to put through the through the uh, the commodity system. It's about, and that's what's happening, people are starting to realise that food's more than the commodity. It's actually the foundation of our civilization. And uh, in the southwest, it's the small businesses that uh, up and down the southwestern highway, the Harvest Highway, that tourism is providing the link that's connecting city population with producers and and people are rediscovering what food can really taste like without the long supply chains of the supermarkets absolutely you know and and again it's, it's such a good example and that story rings true across all our regions and i think we have tremendous capability in our small businesses we have a tremendous capability if you look at the small orchards what what the, what they lack is the capacity to compete on a bigger scale and i think when you when you either bring the market to to your source or you look at building how you can build alliances in terms of taking maybe multiple small orchards together closer closer to where the market is those are the opportunities not only for our orchards and agricultural sector but also for our small businesses we're looking at the moment in terms of things um, other bigger projects where the regions don't get a showing you know it's it's a tragedy that we that the the income that's generated in in the regions is not spent back in the regions so we have to ensure that we change the the discussion and going it's not about that we're not capable of doing these things. We just don't have the, the, the economies of scale or the capacity to be able to deal with it. So how we actually stand together and build together to actually take on some of these bigger assignments and projects is a key part of our future. And, you know, and that's, that's the one side. The other side of it is, is insisting that our government spend the money that we generate in the, in, in the regions. The, uh, the farmer's market phenomenon is something that's sort of picking up over the last 10, 15 years. And I think that is a really interesting example because that, that's true private enterprise free market where you're sort of connecting suppliers and, and, and eaters. You know, free market's a great system, but it only works when there's multiple players at all levels. And uh, I kind of like to think our tourist radio website, touristradio.com.au, is to tourism what farmers markets are to food and i think it's the it's these unique local businesses that make visiting the southwest interesting and it often seems to me that uh, 
governments tend to look after big business and small businesses need to work together and that's why chambers of commerce are so important to provide a mechanism for that. Absolutely, you know, and, and the statistics are there. If you have a look at how many the percentages in, you know, in the high nineties, I think it's ninety six or ninety seven percent of our businesses are small businesses. And if you look at, you know, our regional capacity of small businesses, it's huge. The representation across our region. So we have to be able to connect with those businesses because they are the moms and pops and the fat small families that sustain themselves and also the people around them through either a home business or a family business or whether it's an it's an orchard or a small holding or a farm or you know a, a small workshop in uh, servicing a small regional community so they're vital in terms of the backbone of, of our communities and our governments have to have a look at particularly in terms of preferencing and developing our regions is that I think the conversation needs to change in that the government spend of the money that's generated in the regions needs to come back into the regions and that can come back into the regions in a number of different forms as I said we have to have continuing spending infrastructure. We also need to start talking about, if you look at some of our local governments that are struggling, you know, rate support or support for development where the local councils don't have the capacity in terms of funds to be able to put that infrastructure in. That's where some of that money can come back in and we would all benefit for it. So, you know, coming back to that ability to grow something local, you got, you put it into your local market, we participate in it. It's a cop, it's almost a cooperative society because you, you spend and earn where, where, you, where you live and play. And we have wonderful lifestyles within the region. So, you know, I think what we have to showcase is the livability of our region. Um, and people coming in terms of destination marketing to look at specific, specific things. I think the thing that we want to focus on is how good a story we have to tell. And maybe, you know, that's where your link comes in. It's not just the tourist radio. It's linking our tourists to what the real potentials are and, and the real jewels of, of our regions. Yeah, that's music to my ears. And, and, you know, tourist radio, community radio, they're all owned and operated locally. Uh, They're providing a voice. And I like to think community radio and tourist radio are regenerative media, providing a voice for community and small business. And the the commercial media has become more and more city-centric. And uh, the agendas that they talk about are are very different to, to what applies in the regions. Absolutely. And I think, you know... I don't. I don't want to hear about what's happening in the metro as as the primary source of my news. I want to ha- know what's happening in my local market, in my local LGA, and I think that's where we have to play. It'll be an absolute tragedy if we lose our media in every form across the regions because we we need to have a regional voice. We need to have regional news. And as I said before, you know that destination marketing is is getting out there and talking about what's happening in your own in your own market in your own backyard and making people go well gee i didn't know that so if we lose that ability to to talk to one another to have the radios to have the you know the multimedia options that we have um and and it's it's going to be run by corporates and they might be you know over east it might not even be wa markets um it'll be a great tragedy i guess i'm 65 now and i guess it's part of the aging process but you learn stuff as you get older don't you rob and uh I've been reading and looking at Aboriginal culture and storytelling, and I've come to realise just how their storytelling has it's, it has allowed them to pass their culture and corporate knowledge down for thousands of years through storytelling. And it seems to me that 
in our commercial media, much of the storytelling has been taken over by commercial interests. And, and to some extent to that, we, we, we are losing the ability to see what's gone before and we run the risks of repeating the errors of the past. That is so true, and and you know I think the indigenous culture is is a beautiful culture to learn from because they live in harmony with nature, and if you look at the essence of the life and the and their travel and 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 and, and living patterns in terms of working with what are seasonal goods, they move to where the areas were and follow follow the food source or follow the warmth in some cases, uh, but they you know they lived according to their means and without destroying what was what they left behind. So you. Now, I think that that story is a story that is so powerful and, and, and so relevant in today's environment in terms of balancing our environmental focus. Uh, we have a lot to learn. I think the other thing is, is the indigenous culture in terms of the, the historical significance within our regions is something that our tourists want to come and see. And I don't think that we offer that as much as that we could because there are two parallel stories to be told. You have an indigenous culture which is run for thousands of years and, and, and a European culture which is run for, you know, four centuries, if you're lucky. They both have different stories and different parallels, but we have to be able to track both of them because I think somebody's coming into into the region wants to know what happened before you got here, and you know, and that's where the indigenous culture comes in because in many aspects, you know, they have a way of of connecting some of our key points with, across our regions um, to where our future is going to go to. I'm absolutely sure you're right there, Rob. And Aboriginal people talk about country needs people and from a regional perspective the economic model we've that I've seen happen in my lifetime has all been getting people out of regional Australia so we've got to get people back into regional Australia caring for the country and if we get city people out into regional Australia looking at it appreciating how lucky we are to live here maybe we'll look after it better. Absolutely and I think you know living on country and living in country is two different things. And and I and I think that you know living on country teaches you how to survive with what you've got around you, and that's part of that connect. Because I think so many people, and and unfortunately, so many of our children who grow up in the cities, don't understand where their food comes from. You know, they they expect to see something that's packaged and don't understand where where the sources. We have you know a, a kickback against agriculture and some of our agricultural sources and our, and our processing means, but they don't understand the real needs of 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 how this food is procured and sourced. Um, so, you know, bringing them back to the to the base and going, this is where your food grows, or this is what happens when we don't have water to grow your food, is, is a real connect back with being on country. I think that's really interesting, Rob. And, you know, I've, as I said, I've been looking more and more at Aboriginal culture. And what I've come to realise is that their system, which has gone for tens of thousands of years, they've sort of somehow managed through their storytelling and they've managed to select their leaders as their smartest people. And our leaders are generally based on people with the most money or the biggest egos. So maybe that's how their culture's gone tens of thousands of years and, you know, we, we keep bumping up against different problems. 
I think th- that is true, but I think the other thing, their, their culture is a, gr- a great leveller because, you know, I think they work as a community. So the leaders are there, but the leaders are the voice of the community instead of actually only leading from the front. They are, they participate. You're as good as the people around you, and they work collectively to a, to an end goal. And, you know, I think that's where, where we can learn because Sometimes if you have a look at our, even our small businesses, as I said earlier, in terms of building our capacity, our capacity versus capability, is that we actually work against one another. And there's a wonderful story out about um, co-opetition. And co-opetition is really about being competitors but working together for a common goal into a common market. And I think we can learn that from our indigenous culture. They, they're hunters and gatherers. They work together to to to, to build or secure a, a livelihood. And, and in, in many cases, we can apply that to an industrial and a modern day economic setting, because if together we can actually achieve a lot more than individually. I'm sure you're right. Communities about cooperation and absolutely competition is important. But uh, Charles Massey, author of Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth, he's the doyen of regenerative agriculture, saying that we've sort of, in many cases tended to misinterpret Darwin's theory of evolution and survival of the fittest and some major corporations seem to think that they need to get bigger and bigger to survive whereas diversity is the key so lots of small businesses are going to be a much more stable business because if one falls over it doesn't matter but when you've got a handful of huge organisations if one falls over you've got a catastrophic problem. Well, it does, and and I think you know you have to look at where your source of of your feedstock's going to come from, and the feedstock is not only the the people that feed your industry, but it, but it's also the the materials that you that you that you bring out of, out of some of the small areas. So you know it's it's great to have corporations, but if you don't have people on the ground to to run those corporations and actually to work um, the the source inputs of of those big companies, they'll fall apart. I think the other thing is that ownership in terms of of big corporations becomes a multinational thing and you know i think the lessons that we've learned from COVID across australia wide is how many opportunities we've missed in terms of what we could be doing within australia that we actually have um, maybe been had the luxury of importing but what happens if you don't have that luxury of importing that you know where where are we in terms of our self-sufficiency curve and that brings us right back to the, the discussion on the land you know you apply that in a macroeconomic uh, um, environment and you go well we need to look at what self-sustainability is what are our key industries that are going to order the key products that we're going to need to survive if we if we were really an island and and that changes the whole focus of where where and how multinationals play in our in our in our broader market. Well, I think we could talk about this for a lot longer, Rob, but uh, we better wind it up at that. Thanks, Barry. And I just think there's one thing that I think I, I want to talk about is is we need to influence the discussion of our school leavers because we if if we change young minds, young minds are informed at a school age. We have to talk to the young minds. We also have to talk to the parents to make informed choices about what opportunities lie ahead for for our students. Um, they are going to be our leaders of the future. They're going to represent and populate our world in the future. Their voice really matters. So how we help them to make informed decisions, show them that there are multiple pathways other than just maybe going to uni or some of the traditional um, paths that we, that we espoused, 
opens up a whole world of opportunities to them. And I don't think from a business point of view, we've been as good as what we can be in going, let's demonstrate some of the other opportunities and pathways that, that exist, and, and more so for our regional students. Regional students think they can only survive if they go into an urban environment. We have lots of opportunities in the regions, and we need to build that strength and give them the courage to say, I'm going to stay and live and continue to live and work in our regions. Well, that's great words of wisdom, Rob, and I look forward to having further conversations with you. Thanks, Barry, and have a great day. I've been talking to Rob Skipsey, the president of the Bunbury Geograph Chamber of Commerce and Industry, on conversations on Western Tourist Radio as we tell the stories of people and places in Western Australia.